Well, and a jolly good evening to you. This is the Reverend John St. Germain welcoming you once again to the Crystal Silence League Hour. And, uh, of course, I am your um, jolly host for episode number 102. Who would have ever would have thought we made it into triple digits? One day maybe we'll be into quadruple digits. But stick around tonight. We're going to talk about personal magnetism, how you can cultivate it, how you can generate it, and how you can use it to your advantage. Stick around. We'll be back. And we're back. I don't know how long ago you were gone, but uh, I was right here. So here we are back again. And, um, of course, this is the um, Crystal Silence League Hour. And I am the Reverend John St. Germain. And here we are once again with our show. <clears throat> and I was just wondering how many of you listen in every week. I don't know if you do, but we've been going on with this power episode, this power series. And tonight we're going to continue in that very vein. So, um do stay tuned. We have a wonderful episode for you. Now, for those of you who don't know, this is uh, sponsored by the Crystal Silence League, which in turn is sponsored by Missionary Independent Spiritual Church, which in turn is uh, sponsored by um, Lucky Mojo Radio Network, uh, a world-spanning um, monolith of shows and uh, spiritual workers who bring you various aspects of uh, spirituality and teachings. Uh, the mother show of that, of course, is uh, the Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Rework Hour, which you can listen to every Sunday night. But the Crystal Silence League, we know, was founded around 1917 by a man named Claude Alexander Conlon, who, by the way, um, passed into the silence in uh, 1954, taking the league with him. I've been collecting various uh, artifacts and relics of that time, including membership forms and uh, advertisements and magazines and things. And you can see this on the uh, Crystal Silence League Facebook page if you'd like to see it. And uh, one of the uh, very important aspects of Mr. Collins' work was prayer requests. And in those days, people would write uh, via uh, letters and postcards and send these in to Mr. Conlon, and his secretaries would forward them to him. And at one time, it said he had over a dozen secretaries dealing with his uh, various enterprises involving uh, returning astrological readings and doing prayers. So he would take these vast piles of prayer requests and places mighty crystal ball on the pile and pray over them. And this is very similar to what the pastors do today in the Crystal Silence League. We print out the prayers and we put them on our altars and we pray over them. 
and does prayer work? Well, you have to ask our members. And if you go to our uh, Facebook page, you will see that many, many testimonials that prayer does work. Uh, our website is www.crystalsilenceleague.org where you can post a prayer request, and prayer is always free at the Crystal Silence League. We also have a gift shop where you can buy various literatures, such as uh, various books, uh, some from our founder, Mr. Conlon, on uh, how to use the crystal ball, and uh, one recent book written by me, uh, the Reverend John St. Germain, called Crystal Magic, uh, teaching div divination, uh, projection, attraction, scrying, and spell work with crystals and crystal balls. So one of the customs I've had since we started the show was to start the show with prayers from our website. And I don't identify these by name, even though I have your names and pictures here in front of me being a pastor. I can, get, I can crack the secret code and get to that part of the website. I just read them aloud by prayer ID. <clears throat> and uh, I'd like to ask those of you listening in to pray with me for these um, these generous people uh, asking us for prayer. And if you have your crystal ball with you, pray with the agency of your crystal. And we shall begin with prayer ID number 61721, who says, Please pray that the apartment inspection on Wednesday, May 31st, 2017, to pass inspection and be approved for move-in. Amen. And prayer ID number 61720, who says, Lord, thank you for hearing my prayers and giving me my husband. I ask you now that you help soften his heart and feelings and be able to express his love to me. I know he is very shy, but I also need to feel his love. I ask that you give me patience during this time. I know he is mine and that you put him in my path for a reason, but I also need reassurance that he feels for me the way he tells others. I love him, and I don't want to get hurt, nor hurt him. Amen. And then we have prayer number 61719. Please be in agreement with me in prayer for a house to rent. My husband and I have been searching for a three-bedroom house under $700 for five months. We currently have three grandchildren that live with us, and we have no yard for them to play in. It is my desire to have a nice, big kitchen that is light and clean with a window. Pray we get the deposit and first month's rent ready to go and all hindrances are removed. Amen. 61718. Help my new husband curb and stop his drinking. Lord, I come to you on bended knee to thank you for the gift of my new husband, but also to ask you to help him stop drinking. I know you're the only one that can help him with this. He is a great, hard-working man. He just drinks a little too much, and he needs to calm it down. I know it helps him relax, but I ask you, help him find another way to do that. Please, Lord, help him with this. And prayer ID number 61716. Pastor's prayer request to let Savior look and AU in upstream maintenance AU and mobile producing, etc. Create all services entry sheet for, I'm, I'm, I can't name these companies. I'm going to give initials A and E and MV this week. Thank God for answering my prayers. Amen and amen. 
prayer ID number 61714. Praises to you, Lord. Please aid me to get the new job and be closer to A so that we can be married, have a home, and a family. Amen. 61713. Dear God, I come before you with a humble heart of gratitude, asking on my behalf that you bless every angel on here who supported my prayers in the past, present, and in the future. For me and my better half, I met at a gym to share a blessed relationship of unconditional love. Touch them all right now, God. Cover them in your protection, healing, prosperity, and let them all feel my gratitude for choosing to love someone they don't even know. I submit my prayer to you, God. Thank you for loving me through them. Amen. And we love you too, and thank you for your prayers. Prayer ID number 61712. I pray that me, my better half, and the bond God blessed us with remains anointed in favor, covered in protection with the blood of Christ, protected from all known and unknown enemies, trying to sabotage for our bond is too blessed. To this day, we're still like two kids in our own world, when together, as there is never a dull moment, I stand firm in my faith, what God brings together, no one can break asunder. May me and my better half Hearts remain connected and dance together under God's love, favor, and anointing. Amen. 61711. To my sweet root worker and all my angels, I am truly humbly moved by you. My email is filled with pages of you supporting my prayer. For me and my better half, I met at the gym to be together. I read your prayers, and for you to continue to pray for me while going through your own tribulation shows how pure your hearts are. I'm truly blessed and humbled by you all. Thank you is an understatement. I love you. I pray for you. I pray your blessings come in abundance for the love you've given me. Amen. Prayer ID number 61710. Prayers for H, who is in intensive care with liver failure. May she be healed. Amen. 61709. I am in an abusive, controlling, manipulating, hopeless relationship. I've done everything in my power to show and give love to this man. My spirit is dying, and I don't feel my prayers are being heard. Please pray for my protection and for him to leave me immediately and in peace. Amen. 61708. I've been feeling stressed because of a nightmare I had. Please pray that God keeps us bound together as a family and that no one separates us. Pray for our path to adoption to stay clear and peaceful. Pray that God sends away all those that would cause us trouble. I thank you, and all I ask, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 61707. Please pray that I will be safe and no longer abused. Amen. Number 61706. Please pray that myself, my family, and my loved ones have curses removed that were placed on us by an angry, misguided, and confused woman who sought to hurt me and my loved ones rather than face her own truths. Amen. 61705. Please pray for Stephen Hawking to be cured of his disease. He didn't get to live his life like he wanted to because of his disease. Who knows how much time he has left. Please pray for him so he can be free of his disease and live happily. Amen. Stephen Hawking invented the black hole, you know. <clears throat> 61704. 
I am in a spiritual awakening realm and in clarity and uplifting. I ask that my spiritual guides and protectors uplift me through this awakening. My heart is feeling deep things that I'm not clear about. I need spiritual help. Also, my soul will not let go of someone. And because of this, it seems that my heart and emotions are running high and very, very deep. Please pray for me. 61703. Please pray for patience and understanding for A and B as they grow as a couple and blend their families together. The love they have for each other will help guide the way to their happiness. Amen. And finally, 61702. I ask for prayers to help keep my job. I was put on leave while they investigate a complaint. I've done nothing wrong and need my job to support my kids and myself as a single mom. Please pray the right outcome happens and I can keep my job. Amen. And let us have a moment of prayer and silent meditation for all those in need of comfort and assurance and prayer. Amen. Our crystal of the week, which you can see in our slideshow, see a picture of the thing. It's kind of a weird-looking thing. Um, it is sericite, and um, uh, sericite is a lead-based crystal, and we'll talk about why that's important in just a minute. It's a it comes in many different shades. It goes, uh, sometimes it's yellowish gray. It can be uh, semi-transparent, bluish gray uh, to black. And it will resonate uh, from anywhere from the crown chakra to the root chakra. And I'm going to tell you that this is considered a stone of alchemy because of its lead-based uh, nature. And it's used for transformation, usually transformation of a spiritual sort, on the road to enlightenment. And... Uh, um, it's good if you're trying to reach a higher spiritual level uh, where you're in a place of, uh, of stress and bewilderment, uh, despair, sadness, and you're trying to raise the vibration of your energies to uh, joy, acceptance, um, contentment. <clears throat> it's also used quite 
frequently among healers to aid sleep disorders. Uh, when your uh, body is stressed, many times uh, a kind of toxin is produced, and this is not uh, one of those uh, iffy things like uh, an energy or a spiritual toxin. I mean, a, a chemical chemicals are produced that build up in your body, and this can produce a number of bad effects, like having a, a, a chemical injected in your body and nightmare nightmares and sleep disorders and depression results from this, and uh, relaxation and de-stressing and detoxing is a very important part of this, and sericite can aid in this process. Now, I'll tell you that if you make an elixir from sericite, uh, you don't want to use the direct method because it is lead-based, and if you get fragments or dust from this in lead, uh, you know, it's lead and you ingest it, that's not a good thing. Um, lead is not a good thing you want, not a thing you want to ingest. Now, you may not get enough of it to be a problem, but over time you might. So what you want to do is use the indirect method, which means you take a, a jar of water and you put your stone inside a jar, another jar, a sealed jar or a glass, and you put it in the water uh, without the water getting in the glass. Uh, so basically the, the level of the water is below the lip of the glass of the jar, and then you let it sit in the sun or the moon for a period of time. Remove the stone in the glass Add a couple of drops of brandy to the water, and then uh, use it as an elixir. And uh, this can be used magically, and it can be used uh, he in a healing way. You anoint your chakras with it. Um, you can sprinkle it around your house. Uh, uh, you can take a spoonful of it every day as a tonic, and uh, use it in many ways like that. But that's our uh, our happy little sericite stone. Uh, a valuable tool to have in your arsenal, and it's not that expensive. It's not as cheap as some things. It's not as expensive as others. It's somewhere in the middle, so you know you can price them out. Depends on how big a piece you want. We've been talking the past couple of months about power, about this amazing creative power that brought all things into existence. This is something that uh, men and women and spiritual people. Uh, since the dawn of civilization is recognized, and we have attempted to explain it in various ways, uh, science itself explains it with the laws of the universe, uh, the laws of physics. We have spiritual laws that attempt to explain it. And then we have these things called religions that, uh, in my opinion, in most cases, do a very poor job of explaining it. Um, now, the founders of these religions... Uh, may have gotten it right. Unfortunately, man, being man, uh, humanity, uh, tends to spawn a bunch of people who take the teachings of good men and women and turn it to their own advantage. And um, we do know that it is the acknowledged opinion and stated opinion of the realm of scientists, philosophers, and spiritualists that unseen forces of nature are the forces of causation and creation, that something behind the scenes created everything. We can agree with that. Uh, spiritual people and scientific people can agree on that. Where there are no unseen forces, then nothing material can exist. So material reality exists because of un unseen forces. We've gone over this a million, million times. Um, when you take matter and reduce it down to its basic source, uh, you don't find little pieces of uh, 
smaller pieces of matter. You find matter, 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 then you get smaller and smaller. Uh, you get molecules, looks like matter, atoms. Now all of a sudden atoms don't look like matter anymore. And then you go below matter, below atoms, you get nothing but waves. You get movement, you get process, you get energy or vibration. There's really not a way to describe it. That's why there's so many different models for it. You get quantum theory, atomic theory, string theory, uh, plasma. You get all kinds of theories because it's it's the inexpressible. And science, religion, philosophy, art, everything uh, humanity has come up with are attempts to express this inexpressible, and that is the ongoing and relentless and omniscient and omnipotent power of creation. So this is why... Thousands of people, uh, hundreds of thousands of people, uh, believe in uh, supernatural things because it looks supernatural. You get something from nothing many times. You know how do these? You know people always say, "Well, if you don't believe that that there's a creator, how did the universe get here?" Uh, well, that's um, that's a very good question, and I'll I'll tell you that. Um, I, I don't have beliefs and disbeliefs. I, I have experience. And what I've experienced is that creation is ongoing. There's always new things coming into creation. And so uh, my assumption is that creation has always been here. The universe has always been here and in one form or another. So, But it's the, <clears throat> um, the opinion of many people that the great God of the universe sent a fraction of himself down from heaven to earth to die a particularly gruesome death that those who believe in this story might inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm going to tell you that it's it's my observation that no one I've ever met who professes this truly believes it. They They profess they believe it, but I don't believe that they actually do in their heart. They they have a kind of a surface belief because they're afraid of going to hell. And they've been told that if you just accept this belief, this will give you a key to the kingdom of heaven. But I don't believe that anyone really believes it. Uh, it's an I think it's an impossibility for a, a normal and sane human being to believe, to really believe, anyone who lives in this world, to really believe something as irrational as that. And if someone does believe that, uh, I don't think that they're they're normal. Uh, I don't think that they're functioning in the real world. And I'm not saying I'm not saying being an atheist. I'm not saying I'm not trying to take your God away from you. But I'm saying that if you really believe that the God of this universe sent part of Himself down from heaven only to die a horrible death, for the only the only reason to that, though, that if you believe in that, you'll go to heaven. That makes no sense at all. Uh, furthermore, people who believe that, anyone who would truly believe that, <clears throat> would be capable of inflicting the same cruelties on others, which we've seen in history. And we have examples of that going on today. Um, in, over in the uh, East, we have uh, nations that are ruled by cruel and insane people in the name of religions. In this country, America, we have people who rise to power and say that they are uh, doing God's will. They're, because their religion teaches them um, if they die in the name of God 
or they do work in the name of God, heaven is waiting for them. So imbued with the spirit of this falsehood, they will fight like madmen to make sure of heaven. <clears throat> and this is the problem with supernaturally revealed religions. They can't be good for anyone because they don't allow you to think. Because anything can happen in the realm of supernatural. Anything. And it can be justified. They don't give you room to think. But thinking people, possessing reasonable minds, uh, can go to the other extreme. They just discard all of it. They throw the baby out with the bathwater and go to atheism. And so they, they look to nature and to science and uh, say science has the answers, but science really doesn't. Science has more questions than answers, and that's what science does. It asks questions and forms hypothesis. Uh, and um, so over time, uh, they, science unlocks the riddle of life and existence itself. And science and religion agree upon one thing here, and that is the secret of life and the, the answer to the riddle of life has to be found in life itself. Now, it to me is a just the same as saying I don't know and I'm making it up and I'm too cowardly to uh, provide any evidence to say that we can't know the answer until after we die uh, and, and find out God for ourselves. You know, well, you know, people say, well, I'll, I'll know when I die. Well, you know, that I'm sorry, that's that's a cowardly answer. You know, how do you know about heaven? How do you know about God? Well, I'll, I'll know when I die. And this is why I don't believe in agnosticism. People say I'm agnostic. You know, you either believe or you don't believe. There's no agnosticism. There's no, well, and I know people say, well, no, I am an agnostic. What does that mean? Well, I mean, I haven't made up my mind. Well, you either believe or you don't believe. That's as simple as that. And this agnosticism simply means that I don't want to um, say anything because, you know, either I don't want to piss somebody off or I've never given it any thought. But you believe or you don't believe. It's a simple agnosticism is, is a myth. That's that's something I think is a myth. I don't believe in that. I'm going to take a drink of tea here. Hang on a minute. Because mm. uh, pontificating is thirsty work. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to tell you that to me, faith and belief are two different things. Because you can believe in anything. You can believe in unicorns. You can believe in anything. But faith is based on knowledge. It's based on experience. I have faith that the sun is going to rise tomorrow because it's risen before. I have faith if I drop a brick on my foot, it's going to fall down and hit my foot because the few thousand times I've dropped a brick, it has fallen. Now, that doesn't mean every time I drop a brick it's going to fall, but I have faith that it will. You know, I have faith in my wife that she loves me because she's shown me a thousand ways that she does. And I have faith in the God law and the power of the God law because I have directly experienced it, not because someone has told me, not because I've read it in a book, and not because some guy standing in a pulpit told me about it and said, you're going to have to die to find out about it because this is what we have to do. The power exists. It exists now, and it exists for you and for me. And the only thing you have to do is make up, make up your mind is, are you going to wait for it? And Maybe get it or maybe not. Are you going to throw yourself unreservedly into the pursuit of understanding the, the power of the living creative life spirit? And 
I'm going to tell you I don't know everything about it, and I don't know uh, a great deal about it, but what little I do know about it suffices to make me a very happy and healthy and prosperous and spiritually content human being. Now, I can't move a mountain with my willpower, and I haven't attempted to raise the dead uh, as uh, the Christ did, but I have done quite a bit in my life, and I've done quite a bit for others. And, and this is because spiritual law is so far above material law, although paradoxically they're the same in essence since the physical rests on the uh, spiritual. Uh, there can't be that much comparison. The law is the same. The problem is man has drifted away from the law. But I'm going to tell you that more and more people are getting hip to this. More and more people are getting away from the idea that money gets happiness. And uh, I'm going to tell you that I was talking to someone the other day, and uh, she told me that she had a friend who was very sad. And her friend said, I don't know why I'm sad. I've I've, uh, I've got a good job making good money, and I just bought myself all the things I wanted to buy. And uh, I have food in my kitchen, and I'm still sad. And I said, well, none of the things that you've just described have anything to do with her life, that, that survival. And you're not. And she's while she's playing the video games and all these other things, she's being distracted from her life. And the only way you're going to be happy about your life is if you're if you're living your life and you're paying attention to your life. And if you're paying attention and living your life, then contentment will follow. And I believe that you have to have challenge, and you have to have uh, direction. And if your life isn't challenging you, you have to challenge yourself. And I'm going to tell you that I don't, I don't believe that the, the universe has a plan for you. I've never believed this. Uh, I don't think you're born with a destiny or a plan. Now, maybe some people are. You know, maybe Julius Caesar and Napoleon and these other people did. But I believe that you make a plan and a challenge for yourself. And I think this is not uh, necessarily uh, comforting to a lot of people. It's fairly scary, but it's also very exciting to me. Uh, I may have been born with a destiny to dig ditches all my life. That's very hard work. I did it a couple of summers. <clears throat> but if that's the case, then I changed my destiny, and I became a spiritual teacher. And that is much better for me because, you know, my back gives out as you get older. But I'm going to tell you, um, you can't hope for this. You can't pray for it. You can't wish for it. you got to grit your teeth and be determined that you will not be denied the good things that belong to you. And sometimes you have to wrestle with yourself and train your mind because sometimes your mind will work against you. And if you're not master of your mind, you will not be master of your life. And it's truly said, you know, he who masters his or herself is master of the world. So you can't approach this great unseen realm of the God law of the creative law, except with the humble and childlike wonder you had when you were a little kid before you thought you knew everything. I, I don't care what other people have written. I don't care the, this vast body of uh, spiritual literature that's out there. I don't care what anybody else has said. Um, I believe that when it says in the uh, Gospels, when Jesus said, suffer the little children to come near me for the kingdom of heaven is made of such. I believe that this childlike, innocent 
living of life as a child does, with spontaneous enjoyment, that we are closer to the Spirit than we are when we're older and knowledgeable and jaded and think we have all the answers. Because I'm going to tell you that most of the people who have this know-it-all and cynical and sarcastic attitude, uh, they're, they're not very happy. Now, um, uh, and I'm going to tell you, there's kind of an inverse square law. <clears throat> Whenever I meet or see or hear someone who's telling me how far advanced they are in the spiritual life, how uh, accomplished they are, I, I usually invert it and say, "Well, they're they don't <laughs> they don't know anything." Uh, uh, this has been my experience. Uh, uh, the people who profess to know uh, a lot usually don't. And I, I had a, a client tell me she uh, she wanted to meet people of like mind. She was a very spiritual person. And I said, you can go to these meetings. She said, well, every time I go to those meetings, all they want to do is talk about themselves and how much they know. And uh, I said, well, yeah, that, that often happens at these meetings. It's a, uh, um, a showcase for all the books they've read and, you know, all the websites they've read. And they're, uh, they profess knowledge and they don't practice knowledge. And I'm going to tell you there's an old metaphor of this. Uh, about about reading too much and not practicing enough, and that is that uh, uh, a picture of the sun is no good to a man who's freezing to death. And the moder- modern uh, uh, analog of that is uh, no no amount of men- reading food on a menu is going to fill an empty belly. There's uh, it's it's fine to gather some knowledge. But how much knowledge do you need? People tell me, I'm an information junkie. Well, what's that information doing for you? Uh, you don't need that much information. The, the the best and most powerful spiritual people I know, they know a few things. But, man, they know it inside and out. Uh, now, I see a day. I see a day when all humanity, all created beings, will be complete and perfect and happy and enjoying life and in harmony. Now, I see this happening. It doesn't look likely today if you look out. We're in division and we're at each other's throats and uh, people are yelling at each other, uh, yelling racial and sexual and terrible epithets at each other. But I do see the day when we will be together in harmony. I do see this. So I want you to recognize each and every moment your oneness with every other living creature. And realize that you are a growth from the creative force. You are a growth from the God law. You're a growth from the spirit. And I want you to understand the truth of what it says in the scriptures. I am the vine. Ye are the branches. And that this is literally true. The living God law, the living law of creation is the vine. You and I are definitely part of this. And remember it. I want to tell you that uh, every day, I don't care how busy I am, I spend a few moments contemplating that I am a living and breathing and thinking extension of the creative God law. And this is probably one of the best moments of my day. And there's a, a stupendous problem we have to face, though, and that is life, <laughs> uh, life itself. But by studying life, we find the answers to life. And uh, now, I'm going to tell you that nothing exists 
in reality except life. Everything that exists is an operation of life because it's an operation of the life spirit. Now, suppose, if you can imagine this, uh, the universe with no life in it. Nothing. Silence and, and lifelessness. Can you imagine it? I, I don't think. I don't think uh, it's it's possible to actually imagine it <clears throat> because there you are imagining it. Now take yourself out of it, and boom. You know how can you do it? But um, if you if you do this, just think about how the world and the universe teems with life. Um, there are great moments you think, well, I'm utterly alone. Just stop and be quiet and listen. And believe me, you're never you're never alone in this world. And so, but just we're so used to seeing all this stuff, uh, all this noise around us, that we we dull it out, we we filter it out. Um, and uh, I'm going to tell you that. Billions and billions of hours and dollars and thought has been um, spent by passionate seekers trying to find the secret to life and you know, the secret underlying the universe. And Buddha did, wouldn't even talk about it. Buddha said these are things that are without meaning. What you know, people say? Does the universe have a beginning? Is there a meaning to life? Is there? A, he said these things don't even have a meaning. These questions don't even have a meaning. And but for most people, when they say, you know, what's the meaning of life? What they want to know is, what am I supposed to do with myself? You know, what am I supposed to do? I have a sense of aimless wondering, just doing nothing. So, you know, they want to be happy. They want to be successful. They want to be free from worry. And so, go to the self-help section of any bookstore. Look at the weight loss section. Look at the section for um, helping yourself, feeling better, feel good about yourself, uh, self-esteem. And look at all the money that's been spent on this, um, and it's, it's but it's a reasonable question: what what to do about myself, how to feel better about myself. So, and people want the finer things in life, and so uh, you know the media says, buy this, drink this, eat this, you'll feel better. Be like everyone else, you'll feel better. People find that's empty too. So, what exactly is it? What exactly is it that? Is, is the answer well? The answer is life. Look at life and look at your life, and make your life important, and don't piss it away. And understand that there is a mighty law, and I keep coming back to this like a broken record, that can be used whenever you want it for the manifestation of whatever it is you need. Now, as for the manifestation of whatever it is you want, I'm going to tell you this law has a self-limiting thing. It's not going to give you junk. Uh, there seems to be, as Emerson said, you know the law of uh, uh, restitution, I think it is. Uh, Emerson wrote about this, and Napoleon Hill spoke about it. Uh, in, er in every transaction between two people, there's a third witness. And eventually there will be uh, 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 restitution. And... Uh, like if you're in a job and it's a crappy job and your boss stabs you in the back, that's just that's just an opening for a better job. Um, it depends on how you 
deal with that, though. If you understand that that's what it is and don't carry resentment from it, you'll find that a better job opens its way up. But when people tell me, they say, I- I've been trying to get a job for two years and I can't get a job. I'll say, well, tell me more. They say, well, I get to the interview and then it all goes wrong. Well, tell me about that, uh, that last job you had. Oh, my God. Oh, God, that, that son of a bitch, that boss. Well, see, the interviewer senses something is going on there. He may not be able to find out what it is. You know, she, he or she may not be able to know what it is, but there's something. You're, you're still holding on to the past and – when you hold on to the past, you're creating your future. I just made that up. So, um, but anything you send out there is going to come back. So, understand that if you let go of the past, shut the door on it, you're creating space where this mighty power can come in and bring it in. And now we're going to talk a little bit about personal magnetism here in just a moment because we have uh, station identification coming up, which is a very important part of our programming schedule. The LMC Radio Network is a media alliance whose excellent shows include the Lucky Mojo Hooter Rootwork Hour with Catherine Ironwood and Contraman Ollie, Sundays 3 to 4.30, Kendall's Corner with Candelo Canvisa, Michael Carell, and Lady A, Mondays 5 to 7, the Crystal Silence League Hour with John St. Germain, Tuesdays 5 to 6, In the Streets with Beverly Smith, Tuesdays 6 to 7. On Sacred Ground with Kai Armand and Paige the Firyu, Wednesdays 3 to 4.30. Fit and Foxy with Madame Nadia and Jaya Danya, Wednesdays 6 to 7. The Now You Know Show with Professor Charles Porterfield, Thursdays 6 to 7.30. The Witch, the Priestess, and the Cauldron with Elvira Love and Phoenix Le Fay, Fridays 6 to 7. And Liquid Libations with Andrea Weston, Saturdays 5 to 7. All time specific, add three hours for Eastern, sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. And we're back. And, you know, this is, like all of our shows, a call-in show. Um, We have a number... um, Six five seven three eight three zero five two five, and if you want to, uh, you want to talk to me, just punch one, and that brings up a, a little red flag, and I, I get to it, and I, pull you up, and you can uh, by all means, um, um, talk to me on the air, ask me questions, do whatever you want, uh, ask me questions, tell me that um, I know nothing, I know nothing, you know, you said Reverend John, you know nothing, you know nothing about what you're talking about. Uh, or you can uh, comment, tell stories of your own. That number is uh, 657-383-0525. You press 1, and a little flag pops up, and i see you there. Uh, but right now, we're going to talk a little bit about personal magnetism. I'm going to tell you that um, uh, this is a, a wonderful thing, and personal magnetism was uh, very important in early writings of the New Thought Movement. And uh, Mr. Conlon wrote about it quite a bit, and his uh, associate, William Walker Atkinson, wrote about it quite a bit. And uh, if you're looking for the works of William Walker Atkinson, you have to look for about six different writers, too. Uh, 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 I'll, I'll list them at some point. Um, and there, there's a lot of them, but he, he wrote under the names of a couple of swamis and uh, uh, some guy named Theron Davis. And, uh, there's all kind of them, but I'm going to tell you that one of the things that is very important is to study the power of the human eye, or the eye in general. Animals in nature, 
if you study animals in nature, predators versus prey, you'll see that a lot of this starts with the eye. Uh, vipers, snakes, for instance, mesmerize their prey. Uh, the big cats will mesmerize their prey through a steady and unwavering, powerful gaze. And I'll tell you that I had a friend who uh, had snakes when I was in college. And usually when people have snakes, they'll buy dead mice that are frozen at the pet store and they'll thaw them out and feed them to the snake. And the snake eats it and digests it slowly over a period of time. But I'm going to tell you that uh, people who really like their snakes understand that part of the snake's health, it's kind of like cats. You know, cats are predators and they hunt things. You can feed a cat until his belly is about to pop and he'll still go out and hunt things. That's just part of their instinct. Snakes are the same way. Um, the hunt and kill is built into their psyche. Also, the meat is better when it's fresh, so they'll buy live rats, live mice, and put it in the cage with the snake. And uh, I, can, I can hardly stand it, but I have seen it, and it's very difficult for me. Uh, I understand if you're a pet owner, though, you have to choose your loyalty. You know, are you lo which animal are you loyal to? You know, the, your pet snake or the little mouse, you know, running for its life. And, you know, re re in reality, most people don't have much sympathy for rats. You know, they, they poison them in terrible ways. Most rat poisons and rat traps are terrible ways to die. But you put a, a rat in a cage with a snake, and all of a sudden people feel sorry for the rat because, you know, people have this aversion to snakes. So I've watched this, and the snake will mesmerize the rat. He will fix it with his eyes. And the the mouse becomes almost somnambulant. They become mesmerized. And you'll see this with a number of predators. Well, studying these predators became quite uh, important to many people in learning how this works, this penetrating gaze. Now, the thing is, you don't want to freak people out with this, although it comes in handy in business negotiations to have a predatory-like gaze if you're trying to dominate people. But um, if you get a bunch of alphas in a room, it becomes a, a pissing match and nothing ever gets done. But um, personal magnetism is uh, is projected through the eyes. And I'm going to tell you that personal magnetism depends on thought force. And thought force is something we've talked about a lot here, the projection of thoughts into reality. Um, now, uh, even though personal magnetism is not dependent upon physical channels of transmission, um, because you can you can uh, use personal magnetism across time and space, you can project it from here to across the world. Um, um, there is a um, a channel. There are physical channels that uh, that can serve by transmission and interpersonal react, uh, mechanisms, and this is the uh, the channel of the eye and the channel of the hands, and the channel of the voice. And uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you, some of the early writers went into great detail about this. Um, they, they studied yogi. They studied uh, uh, all kinds of things. Now, now, from your own experience, in my experience, you know how powerful the eye is. There's a certain compelling power in the eyes of certain people. Uh, there's a fascination in certain eyes. Uh, and I'm going to tell you that if you read descriptions of Mr. Conlon from people who knew him, they they said that they would do things, and I don't even know why they did it. He would ask them to do things, and they would do it. 
And they said, he fixed me with a hypnotic eye, and I could not say no to him. And they would do things for him. They would give him money sometimes or do favors for him or do work for him. Uh, in one case, he uh, he was dating a – I forget which wife it was, a second or third wife, and she was uh, somewhat younger than him, and the, the parents objected to it. He said, well, let me meet your parents. And within – and this was from his wife's statement. The parents, within a few minutes of meeting him, changed their mind, agreed with him, and heartily approved of the marriage. And she said – he fixed he fixed his eye upon them and used his magnetic force of personality to completely dominate them. And you find descriptions of this with Mr. Conlon uh, all the time, and he describes this quite a bit in his uh, in his series, The Inner Secrets of Psychology and the Mechanisms. So we understand even the very low animals have this ability to command and charm with power of the eye. Now, we also know that... It, that the eyes are windows into the soul. You can uh, express almost any emotion and detect emotions in the eyes. So um, we know that the eyes are a very potent way of influencing other people. We'll just leave it at that. Um, now, there's a story told of Napoleon. Um, when he was in battle against... Um, uh, let me, I, I got some notes here. I want to make sure I'm telling this right. Um and ah. now, uh, ah. uh, Napoleon uh, was um, confronted the Bourbon army, and they were they were sent to capture him. Well, this is after he uh, he was uh, exiled to Elba, and he came back. You know, he staged a, a, a comeback, and uh, the the troops. This was a whole platoon of troops that were lined up with their muskets aimed at him, and they were ordered to capture him and bring him back. And uh, they were ordered to fire upon him. And Napoleon, who was on foot, he wasn't mounted on a horse or anything, he marched straight up to the troops, gazing directly into their eyes. Then came the command of the officer to fire upon Napoleon. One single bullet would have killed him. And the person who had shot Napoleon would have been rewarded handsomely from the Bourbon King, but not a single man obeyed that order. So completely, it was written, were they under the spell of Napoleon's fascination. Instead of firing, they threw down their arms and ran toward Napoleon, shouting, Viva l'Empereur! Long live our Emperor! So the officers fled, and Napoleon placed himself at the head of, of the opposing army and marched on to Paris. This was the power of his gaze. Now, it was not the eye that did this. It was the power of the thought behind the eye, the mental power. And so we see that great men of history like this had great power of this magnetic gaze. This is why people say, well, can you really do this? I, I, how do you think these people got great? So, so thousands of these very successful men and women and in various times and lands throughout history were working all these miracles, um, influencing all these people, and uh, there are ways to do it. Now, you may say, well, I wasn't born with this. I don't have this confidence. Well, this is something if you're not born with, and some people are naturally gifted with it. I'll, I'll tell you that. Um, 
you develop through exercise. Some people are born stronger than others physically. Go to the gym, lift weights. So um, I'm going to tell you that um, I have some methods here that were uh, – you find this in a lot of the old literature, and they work as well today. One of the first methods, one of the oldest known to students and teachers alike, it says, focus your gaze directly upon the upper part of the nose of the person you're seeking to influence at a point just below the bony part of the skull, which constitutes the center of the brow or bony ridge above the eyes just below his forehead, the point called the root of the nose. The way I would put it is you look right between the eyes, and this gaze will serve to bring your gaze directly to a focus or concentrated center and will give it, to a, give it to it a power greatly superior to that exerted when each of your eyes gazes into those of the other person. You'll notice if you try to look someone in the eye, your eyes are going to dart back and forth. It's a natural thing. You stare between the eyes. The other person will get the impression you're looking directly into his eyes and will not be aware of this, uh, this, uh, this focused gaze. The gaze should not be a stare, by the way, because you'll look like a psycho but a very firm and calm look. Just you just look. Don't don't try to stare him and bore into you know, he'll think you're a you're a psycho. But um now according to Mr. Conlon, uh, you'll be able to acquire this knack of gazing by means of a little practice in your mirror. And he suggests you supplement it by further practice in which the crystal ball is used. Crystal gazing. Now the second method, and this is a very good one, um it consists of you first gaze at the root of the nose between the eyes, and then after a few moments, spreading out your gaze so as to take in the two ears of the other person. And then after a few moments, narrowing the gaze and once more on the root of the nose, then in the same way, alternating the narrowing and spreading out of the gaze every few moments. This is far simpler than the description would seem to indicate, and a little practice, according to Mr. Conlon, it will give you the knack. So you, you gaze through the nose, then you spread your gaze out to the ears and then back in. This gives you a sort of pulsating gaze. I can tell you from experience, it's hypnotic. And, you know, I'm a hypnotist. I know these things. Um, and the third method says you gaze directly into the eyes of the other person, but in doing so, you cultivate a particular knack of gazing through the person instead of gazing at him. And to do this, you must focus your eyes as if you were looking at something behind him or beyond him, just as if his head were transparent like glass. It is like the far-off gaze which you employ when daydreaming or wrapped in a brown study. And uh, I'll tell you, uh, you know, me and a friend used to practice these things on each other, and it is unsettling when you alternate between the uh, direct gaze, between the nose, and then looking through. It looks like someone's looking into your soul. And uh, uh, Mr. Conlon says, practice at gazing through objects, and this will aid you in perfecting this gaze. Try, for instance, focusing your eyes upon the wall opposite you. Then still looking at the wall, slowly pass your hand before your eyes at a distance of about two feet. But don't change your focus in doing so. Don't try to see your hand plainly, but keep your gaze focused on the wall as if you can see through the hand. The other person will not be aware that you're looking through him. To him, it will seem as if you're giving him a very deep, intense, steady, earnest glance. 
He'll notice that your pupils will dilate as they do when looking at a distant object. And as you know, studies have shown that when the pupil dilates, it means you're fascinated with somebody. You'll not see his eyes very distinctly because of this, but he'll see yours very clearly, and he will feel their power. And Mr. Conlon notes in a footnote that serpents, cats, and other animals charm their prey, or birds charm their mates, or found to employ just this particular gaze. I don't know how they studied that, but I take his word. It doesn't tire the eyes, as does the short-range gaze, and will enable you to outgaze any person employing the latter, because he will soon experience eye fatigue while you're free from it. And, you know, this does work. If you want to do a staring contest, do this. Stare between the eyes, widen to the ears, go between the eyes, go behind. And uh, this will actually keep your eyes moist, and it is uncanny. Uh, so after you, uh, do the, after you uh, uh, practice these knacks, you're going to be something else. Now I'm going to give you, in the last two minutes here, gold. What I'm about to give you is gold. This is mental projection at its finest. Say you go to a job interview, you're dealing with someone else, whatever. You look into the eyes of the other person using these uh, techniques, and you you say to yourself mentally, I am stronger than you. I am stronger than you. You will do what I want you to do. And you just keep this going in your head. I am more positive than you. I am more positive than you. You are afraid of me. I'm making you feel my strength. I am dominant to you. I'm looking into you. I'm looking through your eyes, into your brain. My willpower is stronger than yours. You're under my control. I'll compel you to do what I wish. You must do as I say. You'll do this. Do it at once. I am the person for this job who will hire me. Keep this dialogue going all the time. I've trained people to do this when they go to, they say, I, I can't get past the interview. I'll say, do this. And I look, look at me in the eyes, look between the eyes and think this to me. And I'm going to interview you. And their whole attitude changes and people will get jobs if you do this. Now, understand that there are people who are going to try to influence you. They're naturally dominant. You know, they grab your hand, they crush your hand, they look you in the eyes and do all this. So this can catch you off guard. And you, in order to not show weaknesses, I am stronger than you. You cannot influence me. I'm scattering your force into bits and dissipating it into nothingness. I deny your power. I deny it. I'll not do your bidding. I deny your right to influence me. I deny your power and affirm my own I am stronger than you. And this is, you don't say this out loud because you know, you'll look like a psychopath, but you say it in your mind. You want to charm somebody? You like me. You're drawn toward me. You're attracted to me. You find me fascinating. Keep, and all the time you're maintaining that gaze. Now, this takes practice, yes, but understand people, there are people who know this naturally, and these are the people that have fascinated you, uh, gotten, uh, gotten on top of you, uh, sometimes for good reasons or sometimes to manipulate and control you. Uh, In the Streets of Beverly Smith is coming up next. Next week we'll go into this much more, uh, practice some of these techniques, And I hope next week you'll be using them on me. This is Reverend St. Germain signing off. I love you guys. Bye-bye.